This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hello, my name is Chris Hambling and this is the Back of the Nest Season Preview Podcast. Recorded with less than a week to go until Palace kick off the season at home to Everton. We'll be taking a look at the key topics of discussion ahead of the start, with undoubtedly the lack of transfer activity taking centre stage. I'll introduce you to my panel right after this short break. Back of the Nest Match Preview Podcast. www.backofthenest.com The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Right, my panel today starts with Mr. Patrick O'Connor. Hello. Hello, Patrick. Good to speak to you. Been ages. Yeah, good to speak to you too, my friend. And we've also got the legendary Mr. Dio Kernas. Hello. Hello. Good to hear from you. <laughs> And um, yeah, yeah, you're uh, obviously one of my favourites. Um, as you, I don't know why. You, know. Um, you and I were having a little chat on Twitter yesterday after Harvey, um, red and blue site on Twitter, posted something mysterious in the skies of Croydon, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, it was Santa. Yeah. I feel like he just, made, he just messed up his calendar and you're just about early. I did point it out. Happens. I did point out that Santa isn't usually on fire, but you were quite right to point out that the Croydon Santa would also, exactly. he'd obviously be on fire continuously. Exactly. There's different types of Santas, and if you don't know that by this age, then there's something wrong with you. Yeah, uh, and, and yeah, well, thank thank you, Dio, for that <laughs> important information <laughs> for the listeners. Um, yeah. So this uh, this is our final podcast of pre-season. Uh, from here on, we get into the usual programming. So you'll have a preview, the Love Sports Show, and a review show every single week. Um, I'm, yeah, very, very excited to be doing the show for the season ahead. Not quite so excited about the football, but let's talk about that uh, in just a moment. If you haven't been listening in, uh, we've been doing a podcast over the summer called The Palace Years. and We've covered every season from 2009-10 to last season. Um, and very exciting they are too. So do do give those a listen. Uh, let us have your feedback if you so desire. So just to ease us in, gents, it's uh, at the time of recording. Um, it's roughly 24 hours since we lost 4-0 to Hertha Berlin in a friendly. Um, we'll talk about the pre-season in general in just a moment. But, I mean, Patrick, how do you, how do you feel about that? I think perhaps, you know, we were talking earlier, perhaps a slightly misleading scoreline. Yeah, um, I took the opportunity to 
um, hang out with some mates during the during the game. I didn't really feel the need to to watch or listen to a um, preseason game, get all wound up about it. So I didn't actually watch it. I did, but I saw the highlights, and um, I thought you know there were some good moments. I know we had a couple of opportunities. Uh, Dan hit the crossbar. Penteke's got an offside goal. And then, and then at the end, it was you know, the, the goals were, were kind of fluky. And one took a deflection off of Martin Kelly. There was a penalty where Hennessy took down an attacker. I don't, I, I'm not that one up about it. What I am concerned about is the lineup because as Dr. put out on Twitter, that's probably going to line up we're going to start with next week, being that Wolf isn't back training yet, and um, just how harsh I'm, I'm thinking. I know Tompkins is still injured, and Sacco's injured or coming back from injury, so I'm a little concerned about the lineup. As, as 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 it would be against Everton, but I'm not concerned about the result. Like I said, because I've always believed that preseason is more about fitness and that kind of stuff. The result doesn't really matter. But I mean, people on Twitter and social media have been going absolutely crazy about the results, and I'm not really that bothered by it, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I I've been saying throughout the summer that I don't really put any importance on the preseason result. We had a bit of a joke around the Bristol City game because we claimed that that one mattered oh. because we happened to win exactly. it five 0 <laughs> But in, but in general, it isn't, it isn't about the results. But what I think perhaps everybody has a right to be concerned about, as you say, is the lineup, and, and more specifically, when the manager has gone on record as saying we've got real problems at yeah. the back. And again, at the time of recording, it's it was two and a half weeks ago. I think he made that comment, um, and, we're, and we're still there. We haven't done anything about it as yet. Now I've, we'll get into the transfers, and I've little doubt we will sign players. But you know, we've, we've got to be concerned because those players won't be coming in having trained with their teammates so as, as you rightly point out as Dio has rightly said that's going to have to be, probably be the lineup uh, when we go into the first game of the season Dio you were fascinated by the Hertha Berlin game uh, yeah I managed to last until the first half then when the second half started I was actually falling asleep and I had to go out so I had to stop watching the game on it I'm not even lying as well in like I know some people may not might not actually believe me but I had to stop watching the game after uh, the second goal um, but overall, if you're looking at pre-season, I understand that is a fitness test. But I feel like it, starting from like the Bristol game, not that we won 5-0, but the fact that we're we were basically two weeks away from the season starting, you need to some you need to consider performances. You can't say that um results like results don't matter. It does matter in a way, um, due to like how the players are playing. Like we were raving on about Max Meyer against Bristol City. Um and part of part of the result was him playing fabulously. So I feel like it does matter to a certain extent, but I won't look into it too much. It's not the end of it that we lost four nils her for Berlin. Uh, Wilf's not still back. And the only thing that I'm worried about and have been worried about ever since we saw Wan Bissaka is our fullback situation because going to next season, I just feel like teams are just going to abuse our fullbacks and we haven't got solid we haven't got the solid right hand side, which which was the case with Wan Bissaka and now feels like more players need to focus defending and it might take out of our game going forward in a way. Well, well I agree with that because it's very it's very easy to look at the way we played and defended against Hertha and, and look at centre-backs being caught out of position and not providing route amount of cover. But it was very noticeable that obviously Van Anholt was missing on that left-hand side quite a lot because he was the only one providing width on the left. And Joel Ward, again, positionally... Um, not not the greatest and you know hasn't played on a regular basis for quite some time so you know we'll be a little rusty so I think it's the fullbacks that are creating probably the biggest weakness at the back because then it exposes people like Kelly uh, and Scott Dan for any lack of pace or 
inability to cover three or four players on their own, unfortunately. But yeah, again, you, you can get too much into the analysis of it. I mean, the preseason has, has gone not great. Obviously, we started playing in the, the Urine Cup, and I deliberately pronounced it like that, um, where we drew uh, 1-1 with Luzerne, uh, winning that 6-5 on penalties. It was nice to see a Palace team smacking some penalties away, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, didn't miss any of them. Kirby scoring the winning penalty. Uh, we then lost 2-0 to, to Young Boys um, four days later um, to to who, who won the tournament. There was then the 6-2 defeat against uh, Barnet, which a lot of focus on, but realistically, it, you know, it was essentially a reserve game. So I think people got a little excited about that one. Uh, a fairly drab 1-0 defeat to Nottingham Forest. Um, and then uh, the day after the reserves lost to Bromley and the Knives were out. That little bit of respite beating Bristol City 5-0, Townsend, Schlupp, Benteke, Mayer and Wickham scoring. Um, again, three days later from that, uh, mostly reserve side drew 2-2 with AFC Wimbledon. Brandon Pierrick, uh, an exciting young prospect, um, got in both the goals in that game. Um, quite like the look of him. Uh, and then before, that, and obviously we just talked about the 4-0 defeat to Hertha, which has finished our pre-season programme. So anyway, let's get on to talking about the transfer situation, gentlemen, because, I mean, it is dominating once again, and for good reason. So I've kind of, I want to talk about the Palace approach to transfers, but there's, there's a, you know, we were talking pre-show um, and there's lots of different tangents we can go on with this. So, but let's, let's start with kind of some questions. And, and the, the big question is, what, what are we doing? Again, what are we doing? We've signed a third choice goalkeeper and Jordan Ayew, which as Roy had pointed out, was one that we knew was going to happen because it was effectively done last year. We were just waiting for him to get bit back from the AFCON. So every single transfer window, we seem to do really late business. So one of the reasons we've, we've been told that that happens is because you have to wait for the kind of domino effect to transfers. We've always been told that you can get potentially get better value by leaving it late. But I suppose if I start with you, Patrick, when does this potential better value get offset by the fact that you've got players who are not spending any time with the squad before the season starts, joining late. You don't know if they're going to gel. And you look at last season with Max Mayer. He had, had no pre-season when he joined us because we left it as late as we did. He was on a free transfer. So are we really making things difficult for ourselves with this approach? Very difficult. Um, and I don't quite understand it. I'm not one for destroying the board, the investors, the manager or Dougie, but it just seems that that doesn't work. And I, I, I kind of get that approach, but this is an example is, is this year. We sold Wambazaka very early, very, very early in the uh, window. It was imperative that we that we placed him, and we didn't. And the thing with having that much money and waiting this long is that the prices for a fullbacks are going to go up and up and up as we get close to minute because everybody knows we have to replace Wambazaka. We're not going to go into see with with, uh, with um, just Joel Ward. That would be ridiculous. So... The idea of waiting, though I understand it because you kind of, things kind of have to fall into place. A great example like Harry Maguire uh, signing by Man United is going to cause a domino effect. Brian will probably lose Dunk uh, to Leicester, etc. I think I think uh, uh, another club signed, uh, Brighton actually signed the centre-half. Center yeah, uh, Webster, from, City. Webster from exactly. Bristol City. So yeah, I get how that kind of works, yeah. but 
we saw Wambasaka, is it a month ago? I don't know, it was such a long time ago. And we've done we've done nothing. Jul- July the 1st, so you're talking, yeah, I just don't Exactly. And, and looking at, our, you know, I don't want to jump ahead, but looking at our rumours in, uh, is it Aguiar? Aguiar is the four is the fullback we're looking at, right? To replace, yeah, Ru- Ruben right. Aguilar. Yeah, well, there's a couple of well, other rumors. Well, I don't know anything yeah. about, but he's either right back, so great. But I mean, so I, I it's 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 it just it doesn't. And again, another was weird. I just remember just I mean I hit jumping on paper with the Camarasa, for instance. I know that I heard, the rumor I heard was that Dougie was out there. And he basically put an offer out there, and he, it wasn't enough money, and he had to go back to the board or back to Paris to find out if he could offer more money. Is that really how we're doing things? Because if that's how it's going to work, we're going to wait to the last minute and get what's left on the table. So I just think that the approach that we're taking in this case, in particular this season, is even worse than normal. Because again, we had money from selling one of our best players. We know we had to we had to replace, and we didn't do it. I think what we're doing this 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 season is really really poor. I I don't find it like a coincidence the fact that there were rumors that the American owners want out and there was that I think someone from Thailand who wanted in and China I don't find a coincidence that we've left it late and we haven't really gone for anyone until this point because I I do genuinely feel like they do want out and it somehow impacted our transfer policy but it's not a good look for the club because going into next season you, you you want to keep wealth at the club but you need to be ambitious as a club as well and we're not really showing at this point because wealth want wealth can't play at the at a better stage than crystal palace like that that is out there you can't play for europa league or champions league club I, I do believe that but we need to show a bit of ambition as well because Yes, we want to keep Wilf, but it is also harsh on him if we're just staying as it is and not trying to move on as a club. So overall, this preseason, it hasn't been the greatest. But of course, we've still got until Thursday Thursday to do some business. So you know how Palace is. We might end up signing five players before the actual deadline closes. So it's not the end of the world, but it is quite, quite poor. So you've touched on a few subjects. and We've got a, a new feature on the show this year. Um, where we have a number you can add on WhatsApp and you can leave us voice messages. And um, just to give you the number ahead of, of playing a, a relevant message, um, it's 0203 575 uh, Just add that in your contacts and then you'll find us on WhatsApp. Chuck us a – I always feel like I'm about 100 years old when I start talking about anything like this. But, um, but yeah, chuck us a, a voice message and you get an opportunity to um, hear, have your voice on the show. So we're going to hear that clip now. Hi, it's Prim here. So I'm happy with Aaron Wan-Bissaka going, and I want Zaha to go as well. If I was running a football club, that's what I would be doing. I think the reality is we're in the modern era. We could be out there. There's like 20 different names of amazing footballers that we could sign for like 10, 20 million that could come to our club because they're established in the Premier League. I think we shouldn't be independent. We shouldn't be dependent on Wilf. And I think that um, we should be able to make these big signs that across Europe for like 10, 20 million apiece. And we could use Zaha's money to do that. That's my opinion. There we go. Um, Thanks for that message, Prim. Much appreciated. And I think it's very brave to open (laughs) with that you're happy that one Pazaka went and you want Zaha to go as well. Um, To address those two points, I don't think you should ever be happy that your best players are going or... Um, or potentially going. So one of the Prim's points was about uh, selling Zaha and Wan-Bissaka and then using that money to buy players between 10 and 20 million. 
that idea sounds good. I'm going to throw some names out just randomly, attacking players mostly because we're talking about replacing Zaha. Uh, and th- that was done in this current window. So Kovacic uh, was signed by Chelsea for $24 million. Lukman went to RB Leipzig for $22.5 million. Jose Perez went to Leicester for $30 million. Daniel James went to May United for $15 million. Oli McBurney went to Sheffield United for $17.5 million. Pablo Fornals went to West Ham for $24 million, And Joseph Gray left Everton to go to PJ for $30 million. The only player, attacking player, that was less than $10 million was uh, Jordan Ayew. Do you know who he went to? <laughs> yeah, I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for $2.5 million. <laughs> Now, not to make light of it, because I think the idea is interesting, but the, pro- the problem is, honestly, is that you're not going to find 10 to 20 million players that can he- really help you. You're looking at 20 to $30 million. And if you were to do that, let's just say for the uh, Wanda soccer money, you're going to get two players possibly, and none of them will probably be a right back. So, you know, I mean, if you, you can get right back, maybe 10, 20, I don't know if, what they're going for, honestly. I, I, but So the point is, I just don't think that uh, realistically we can afford to sell Wilf, because we've, we've talked that a million times. We sell Wilf for 70 million. Can we really replace him? And I'm going to say no, because you might go out and spend 50 million, but that player is not going to give us what Wilf gave us. So... I just think it's hard to replace players just by saying to go out and spend 10 to 20 million. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair comment. And I think the, the transfer window definitely is one of those things that, that's a lot easier when you are sitting behind a computer screen, sort of pointing at, pointing at what other people are doing and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And we just, the truth of it is, and this is where we'll get into kind of the next bit really, which is how people are responding to it. The truth is you don't know what's happening. You do, You know, you get... Stories in the press link Palace with players or link Palace players with moves elsewhere. And you don't know the source of those stories and the motivation behind them. Just look at Wilf. There's you know, been two clubs that have made statements, Napoli and Everton, just to make it clear that stories in the press were absolutely false. Um, you know, Everton was, was regarding a second bid and Napoli was regarding them having the money to make a bid at all. And those stories will be in the. They won't. Everyone's like, oh, they're made up by Sky, so Sky can get money into Sky Bet and all this kind of stuff. That's that's not <laughs> the reason. They're not. You know, the sources for journalists and you know any journalist will tell you this that they might be aware that the their source is giving them a story for the sake of giving them a story with with other motivation with ulterior motives behind it. But they're still being given that information by people from a position of knowledge and of interest right so what i'm really getting as is, is, is agents if agents are looking for to move a player on there's lots of techniques they do that they you know obviously they they are allowed to speak to clubs directly they're allowed to speak to other agents they're allowed to speak to everybody the, the players just aren't but when a bid gets made it's because a player has been sounded out by their agent about interest from another club so to then completely write things off as as utter rubbish um it's just a little bit naive, but then you have the the, the second part of it, and I'll, I'll use the uh, Alan St. Maximin um, discussion because he's joined Newcastle for twenty million pounds. Now, there's lots of reasons why I have a problem with people's reaction to that, but I saw people tweeting Steve Parish directly and calling him some unpleasant names because we hadn't made that signing. So two things. First of all, you don't know that we were interested in the first place. It was just something somebody wrote in a paper and you don't know the motivation behind that. But the other thing is, when have we ever played? We don't play with wingers under Roy Hodgson. Why are we going to spend £20 million on a, an out-and-out winger? You know, Wilfred Zaha plays up front. 
On the left-hand side, we play either Jeffrey Schlupp or we play Max Mayer as a wide central midfielder. On the right-hand side, we play Andros Townsend, who tucks in, runs all across the three, and occasionally swaps with Zaha and occasionally goes up front. He's not an orthodox winger in our system. You all watch Palace, I hope. So what? why would we go out and sign an out-and-out winger? It's a problem. Look, the manager chooses to play that way. If we had a different manager... You know, it's exactly the sort of signing I'd like us to make. I'd love us to play with wingers because then we wouldn't rely on fullbacks overlapping and exposing our defence. You know, these are, these are issues that I have with the team. But that's an example of something where people have got incredibly personal about the chairman or or about Dougie Friedman and just without any real basis. Yeah, Hamber, I know what you're saying with um, the abuse towards Steve Parrish and Dougie Friedman. And if you actually look at them on Twitter, 99% of them are just kids and it sounds ridiculous but what can you do about it they're just they're just kids and also it happens every year but I understand what you're saying with certain transfers and it makes complete sense and I don't think people realize it the fact that there are people out there that go like agents for example that go out there to news outlets and put stories out there just because they want to move for their player and the same maxim thing for example it seems like a move like that because yeah, we didn't. We, there was no true link to it. Like it was like, yeah, we're rumored for like a couple of days, and after that, it just died out. So I don't know why people are going crazy about it. And what I want to say is that Dougie Friedman. Um, I feel like there's a lot of pressure on him now because people are realizing that he's in a role where he controls the transfers, and if he doesn't bring in the right players before Thursday, then I won't be surprised if lots of people turn turn on to him rather than Steve Parrish because he's the main culprit. So. Well- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I know, I know Patrick will jump on this in a second, but I do, I do want to make it pretty clear that you, what you've said there is, is, is absolutely bang on. He is, it's his job. He's ultimately responsible. Now, we don't know the conditions he's working under. That's one thing I will say. Um, we don't know the, you know the brief that he's been given exactly, but ultimately, yeah, the buck will stop with him if if we don't bring in the right players and, and don't support the manager in the way that we, we intend to. Um, and it's you know it's not the first transfer window, so don't get me wrong. I I don't I don't know either way whether or not Dougie Freeman is doing a good job. I just I don't have that insight. I don't have that knowledge. Uh, but my point kind of is that neither does anybody else who's abusing him. So um, I think there's certainly we have every right to as supporters to ask questions, to be frustrated, to be annoyed. But do we have the right to personally insult? these people for for this no no we absolutely don't and it is boring it's so boring so simply put there obviously is an issue so let's go back you can go back two years three years for us we do this every single window so immediately people say it's got to be steve parish because parish has a purse string it's got to be his issue i don't know if it's parish then let's turn to the American owners. People are saying how they should just sell, get them out. They're useless. They spend money on the American team, not on the, on the Palace team. But that's not true because the window when Allardyce was here, they were the ones that said, you know what, we're going to we're gonna, you know, open the purse strings and we got, we're able to sell, we're able to, I'm sorry, buy Luca and Schlupp and PVA. And I believe we got Sacco on a permanent. So they have spent money. They're just not doing it now. Like as Dio said before, do they want to sell out? And that the reason why we're not, we're not buying, that could be it. Then there's a Dougie situation. You know, is Dougie making the right moves at the right times? Is he being hamstrung by Parrish or by the manager? Is the manager asking for certain players that we just can't, that are unattainable? 
And then there's the FFP thing where, you know, I, I've i got to believe that we have restrictions on salary. You know, we, we had to get rid of some players in the season. We don't want to bring in players again and start the whole cycle again. Do I mention before, we've got a very, we've got a decently old squad, let's say. Uh, not all of them on big money, but a certain amount of them on big money. And we want to get a little bit younger. So there are so many factors that go into it. To, to me, just blame it on just Parish is the easy way out or just Doug is the easy way out or just the American is the easy way out. There's a combination. But I do agree with people who, who, who say we have to address this. Something has to change because, again, if you go back in history, this has been the same thing every single summer window. It has De- to change. Definitely. Look, it's going to cost us at some point as well. Um you know these, these exactly. constant late late yeah. moves in the window. No, no, no one on this show is happy about it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what, what I will what I will say as well is that there's often some really simplistic maths out there, uh, and I don't mind to to agree. I'm not, not criticising people because I like the fact that they're trying to trying to give you know value to opinions. They're not just shouting about stuff and getting angry. They're saying, okay, well, this is why. This is what annoys me. But for example, let's take Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Okay. The deal was forty-five million pounds up front by all accounts, um, with some add-ons that could take it um, past fifty-five million. But people are immediately going, "Okay, well, we've got that." It's like, "Well, have we got that?" And the reason I say that is because a lot of deals, most deals, are structured in a way that you pay fees over a period of time. So we're still paying transfer fees out for people like Sacco and Benteke and Milivojevic and. You know these these are transfer fees that will come out of our budget, and that's when what you're saying, Patrick, comes right into play, and it's the the wage situation. So eighty percent of the turnover on wages, so eighty percent of the hundred and forty odd million we make in a season, is gone, straight up, just on wages. Then you have signing on fees for people with new contracts. Then you have signing on fees for people you sign on free, and then you have loan fees for players. Um, and so the idea that it's just oh player out we've got that money doesn't really pan out that way (laughs) no i I understand it i understand why people love to stop at the end of one season and start a new one go right well whatever happened financially the season before and all the years before that forget that let's start fresh on this season so we're at zero we've got 45 million quid in hooray and and it just doesn't work that way and that's where people get themselves really wound up because they ask that that fatal question in my view in, in trying to understand football and that is Where's all the money gone? And it's there. People they publish accounts. You can see where the money's gone, and you can also see that any money that goes out to, I think there's only one director that gets paid, and I think that's Steve Parish, and he's invested that plus more back into the club. So you can see there's no one stripping any assets. No one's, you know, trying to trying to cut corners or anything like that. Bottom line is we're not a big enough club to constantly spend thirty, forty million pound on single players. Um, and and cope. Now you can argue that that was a mistake in the past where we've gone out and spent a fortune on Sacco and Benteke, but nobody was complaining at the time we did that either. So it is, it's all swings and roundabouts really, but um, you know, we could talk about that subject forever, but uh, DR, you want to jump in there? Yeah. Um, talking about wages, I do feel like we need to, we need to reconstruct like our whole wage bill kind of thing um, in terms of Benteke. There's a big question. Uh, his contract is running out end of next season. So do we go and offer him the same amount? Do we lower the amount? Because I feel like this has been a lesson for us now. Like, let's not splash money on players uh, just because they're big names. I feel like the club need to approach it more sensibly from now on because our approach at the time, as you said, yeah, it does make sense why we got Sacco. And I 
I'm not arguing with what Saka is on, but for example, Conor Wickham, we offered him a new contract. I know we'll talk about him in a second and how he's rumoured to be out, but was that the most sensible idea? I'm not too sure of because we're spending 80% of our money um, that's coming in and we're still giving players who hasn't played in three years new contracts. So stuff like that we need to look at. But I will say, DR, in the Benteke um, case, and I'll, I've been saying it for a while, you have to look at the season he scored the 17 goals. Without those 70 goals, we get relegated. So I totally agree. Last year and the year before that, he just didn't do anything produce. And I don't think when they signed the contract, they said to themselves, OK, we're going to sign the contract. It'd be great one year and awful the next two. But I just think people have to look at it that, yes, he hasn't been great the last two seasons, but he was terrific that one season. It was everything we wanted and more, and he scored a ton of goals and he kept us up. And without him picking us up, where would we be now? So I understand what you're saying with Penteke's contract. But again, I just, we have not, it, was not, it wasn't like we've raised it. And listen, these numbers might not be true, but I've, I've heard that he's turned down bonus money he could have gotten on the, of his contract in order for us not to like have even more uh, uh, contract and salary issues. So, um, there are, there are just things that go on as far as salary that we don't know about. And um, I think that to, to, to talk about, well, Benteke's salary is too high. I agree. And I don't think we're going to be signing, by the way. I think we're going to let him go at the end of the contract. But I think that sometimes you got to look at the, what happened in, in, because of the contract. Again, without that, we would have been in big trouble. I think the, the Benteke one's interesting. Obviously, I always feel the need to point out in the 17-goal season. That's yeah, where we actually played. <laughs> with, 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 played with wingers and then crossed to him, you know, that kind of thing. Um, which we haven't seen enough of um, in, in the two seasons subsequent to that. But you know, that's not the whole story. Clearly, we've seen him miss a, a host of chances he should be putting away as well. Absolutely. Uh, conf- confidence is a is a terrible thing at times for footballers. But I think, and again, I heard that, that same rumour as you, um, Patrick, around um, him having a, a clause to be the highest right. earner and, and backing out of it. I don't know how true exactly, that is. It's just yeah. a rumour that went right. around. But, but, you know, again, that if true, that shows that, you know, a degree of you know, degree of respect to the football club that you really want to see in players. And I, and I like that, but um, no, okay. We could, you know, we'll talk forever. And, and the, the bottom line is we still, we've got to sign some players that there's no two ways about it. When you look at the the bench that went out on, um, against Hertha, I don't have any problem with youngsters being on it, but you know, I can understand Roy's concerns there because going into a Premier League season, you can't be one centre-back injury away from having to play a, a young lad who's got no experience even really at first team level, let alone at Premier League level, you can't be in that position as a as a Premier League club that's been in the the division for for what coming up to seven years now. So um, definitely something concerning. But let's have a look at the rumours of players in, and we can talk about how people have reacted to them as well. So let's start with Gary Cahill. A strong rumour in the papers at the moment, and and going around the socials that Gary Cahill will be signing us uh, signing for us on a two year deal. Uh, for 75 grand a week it's in the paper whether that's true or not you never know who put that in there is someone posturing you know who knows but um it's a really negative reaction to it as well as some people who are kind of saying well look you know this guy's not long been in it you know it was not that long ago he was an england international he's been playing for chelsea for quite a considerable amount of time okay coming towards the end of his career but not that much older than some of the players we've got and it comes with a huge pedigree and more importantly, that kind of experience and that kind of know-how of playing in the Premier League for that long, it's got to be worth a deal in, in my view. And I, and I think it would be a terrific signing um, considering the injury issues that Tompkins has got. I've seen rumours that he'll be out for another three, four months. 
Um, and Sacco's coming back from another serious injury, so we don't know when we're going to see him as well. Um, and Kelly and Dan haven't, haven't looked great pre-season, so it would be a good one for me. I'm not too sure. It's, you know what it is? It's not Gary Cahill himself. I feel like he, he he could play a big role for us, but it's just the wages plus the age combination. We've already got an aging squad, and we're going to be paying 75000 to a 33-year-old until he's 35 I'm not too sure about that because when Tompkins and Saka comes back, I still put them ahead of Cahill and it will be potentially basically we're playing 75 grand for a backup centre-back. And maybe if we sold Scott Dan or something, it might sound more appealing, but right now it doesn't. But I wouldn't be too upset because I still feel like there's a player in him. It's just a wages part that confuses me a bit. I've done a bit of a 180. On Twitter, I've actually pan the uh, idea but the more I think about it and uh, I didn't know that I that we just said Hamber about Tom can being out possibly three to four months I'm all about the wages because again you mentioned before Hamber we pay wages great we're not paying a, a, a fee to him you know a transfer fee yeah we're not paying him up some kind of a fee but that's that's fine um so that's fine um Watching Scott Dan yesterday, I'm a huge Scott Dan fan. I, I think he's, I don't think the injury is the issue now. I think he just passed it. I really do. And I would be concerned going the season with him as the, as one of our starting center halves. And I, again, I've, I've loved him for the, the time he's been here. Um, so I think Cahill, though he hasn't played a lot for Chelsea last year, would be a, would it be a good addition. Leadership, he played for Hodgson at England. Hodgson's apparently is a huge fan of his. His experience, you know, winning, you know, the Premier League, all that stuff would be, I think would be really good for our squad. Maybe he can, you know, help someone like a Sam Woods come through because I think we'd have to give him a chance at some point. I actually think the the signing would be a, would be a decent one, even though initially I just thought it would be a bad one. But with Tompkins being out, I think that we need to address that, and I don't want to spend money and buy a championship uh, centre half like other clubs have done in you know below us or around us and take that chance. I think I'd rather just go with Cahill and give him the money. Yeah, I think the issue raised, um, you know, first by Dio and then by yourself of the. The age and the contract is is a valid one, considering the fact we've already got age and contract issues at the club. But I think you've also got to factor in what you said about Hodgson being a big fan, and if it's what the manager wants, you know you've got to give him that as well. If if he thinks it's a good deal, and if he thinks you know two years of him at the club will be valuable, whether it's as a more often than not as a backup, we don't know. But I, I wouldn't think so initially. But um, again, how fit he is, I don't know either. But We've got to get someone in at centre back. We just we're so light there, and getting someone with international experience and extensive Premier League experience to me is is a no brainer. And let's not forget how long Damien Delaney played in the Premier League um, through sheer force of will. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you didn't. You know, when it, you know, thirty three, we didn't chuck him on the scrap heap. He carried on for till thirty five, didn't he? Thirty five, thirty six. So, um, and you, you would have to say, with all due respect to Damo, who's an absolute legend, you would have to say Gary Cowhill was probably a superior player, wouldn't you? Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that one. Um, next rumour I want to touch on is one that's been in the papers a lot. Uh, Ollie Watkins from Brentford. Um, interestingly, can play as a winger, can also play as a, as a wide forward in a three. Um, so as much as I've rubbished the fact of signing wingers, it's one that's that's on the radar. Um, I'd be honest, I've not seen a huge amount of him. I've seen a few games, um, very direct, very pacey, like that about him. Interestingly, Brentford fans think he might struggle to make the step up, but it's a young player who can improve. Um, 
I suppose, an exciting one, perhaps, do you? Yeah, I thought that initially. Then after the Love Sports show, I was talking to a QPR fan um, and he was like, you should have went for uh, Neil Mulpe, uh, which Brighton have ended up going for. And he said that he doesn't see... It's like similar to Brentford fans. They don't see him uh, performing at the Premier League level. And when we, when I first heard the rumour, I was excited. But now I'm just looking at it and I'm I'm a bit worried. Um, but I mean, with perfect development, um, you never know what happens. I, I trust Roy Hodgson to develop him. But then again, it depends on how much money we're spending on him. Because the rumours were that we'll, we will offer Serloff. But of course, he's gone out now um, and he's away. So he can't be part of the deal. So how much money are we actually willing to offer Watkins? Now, I mean, the, you know, the rumoured rumours were we put in an eight million bid and we're going to go higher as well, and they're looking for about fifteen. Again, it's big money, and any player from the Championship who's performed at a, a reasonable level seems to be incredibly high money. Um, we just got to get used to it, I guess. Um, also, as I just said, high money there. The uh, Palace photographer <laughs> didn't, didn't mean <laughs> nice to do fun. that, but it was there anyway. Uh, you mentioned Neil Morpe. We're also linked with him, and it, as you say, it seems that he's quite likely to sign for Brighton but £20 million now he's a player that they absolutely love at Brentford and are kind of distraught about losing and they do think he will make the step up Um, let's hope he doesn't if it is Brighton he signs for Um, but again that's a big risk spending £20 million Patrick on a player who's who's done it at championship level you know we've seen Bamford do it at championship level for God's sake so um, and we know it's a big step up we've seen Gale who's who's a player who seems to be between Championship and, and Premier League standard, uh, big risk. Yeah, um, you just you, you nailed it. Um, Bamford and Gale. Bamford and Gale had a better pedigree than Morpé, and neither one, unfortunately, well, don't care about Bamford, but uh, Gale unfortunately could did could make the step up. So I'm not I'm not sure it's worth uh, the twenty million. Let, let Brighton spend on him and have him, you know, burn there and do not do well. But um, that the truth is that's what we have to start shopping now. Unfortunately, if we want to get players. Uh, you know, wide players, forward players, the championship wouldn't be a bad idea. I just think perhaps Brentford wouldn't be the, the best place to look. I'd look at the team that did a little better, like the lead, some of the Leeds players possibly. Not that they're necessarily available, but I'm just saying that you want to go for teams that or players that have done that really, you know, set the world on fire. But again, there's no guarantee because I'm, I'm pretty sure that Bamford was the player of the year in the championship at least one or two seasons, and look how he did in the Premier League. So it's difficult. It really is. I mean, it's easy to just throw names out, but it's difficult to find these players. I'd like to talk a little bit about the next one, Fedor Chalov, yeah, the Russian. Yeah, yeah. Only because the fact that it, I'd never heard of him, I'm not going to lie to you. But just just seeing, I went, obviously, went on like, multiple points. I went to YouTube right after and did a little research on him, and he looks like a decent player. I mean, the league isn't the best. He's got 20-plus goals in, in that league, the Russian Premier League. But... It, it just, you know, Twitter, the, social media is a funny thing. At one point, you know, we had offered X amount and the, the club turned it down and then he, he was going to come and then he wasn't and Dougie was over there and then Dougie wasn't. So and now apparently it, the, the deal's fallen through. But that's that's the kind of deal. But the reason I'd be a little bit worried about that is, is as we just mentioned, it's Alexander Solot. I mean, we've tried this already, going for a foreign striker who we thought had some pedigree and it didn't work out now, it seems to me this player is a little bit younger than, than Solot puts up about a little bit more and has a little more quality but you know it's exciting because of his you know the Russian thing but I just be a little bit worried again Palace just have not got not had and if you guys go back to when Jordan owned the team we bought a guy from a what's the guy's name we bought a striker oh and he didn't I'm just trying to think we bought 
Mm. It was a Hungarian uh, guy. Yeah. There was. Yes, yeah, uh, yes. Sandor Togeli. Sandor Togeli. He's like, I didn't work out at all. So we have a little bit of a history of buying these Eastern European strikers. They sound good on paper. They have great credentials. They suddenly get to Sellers Park. You know, can you do it on a cold Wednesday at Sellers Park? No, you can't. <laughs> or Tuesday or Monday or even a Saturday. So, you know, I think that, you know, we're going to have to get a strike of some kind of, or a forward pl- player. But that Chalo player does sound exotic. Let's let's hope that if it does uh, happen, that he's a good player. He does the the business for us i'll be real i'll be honest i'll watch highlights as you did and i do right. not want us to sign him i i just don't. you do or do not no no i don't i really oh, okay. don't like I, I i've seen like in the highlights i watch him miss so many times and if that's someone's highlights i know it's, it's an honest highlight but it didn't look encouraging like that's how i saw it i don't know maybe you could come and score 15 goals in the premier league but the way that we've moved with transfers, Yak, Serloff, um, players from abroad, um, I'm, I'm not hopeful. I'll be honest. So, question Is he better than the, your friend at Everton? My friend? That was a, yeah, the the Turkish player under four. Oh, Tosin. No, yeah. In your opinion? No, 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 no. no. Okay. no. I think Tosin okay. is, if you put the ball in front of him, in front of goal, he'll score goals. Uh, so can I, by the way. There's players, there's professional footballers that can't. We're talking about yeah. Ben Ticker. You have to well, no, agree. I'm just going to, just a couple of things on that. First of all, Patrick, have you emailed the club about this? <laughs> we're, we're approaching deadline day, and I think Max, Max there's a move. probably will when I get off, get off this call. I yeah. certainly will. <laughs> no, for me, it's. And it's, then I'll treat them also. For me, it's a pretty simple one. No, no we don't know enough about him to be able to, be able to judge him judge fully. I do try my very best in all circumstances to judge a player in a Palace shirt only and not to think too much about what's gone before and sometimes what goes on after Um, but obviously you are trying to make a judgment based on you know YouTube clips and all that kind of stuff that's the couple of things I liked about him first one was the goal he scored against Real Madrid I really liked that Uh, excellent finish and and very cool and calm in front of goal and the second thing I liked is he had pace Um, and I don't think we've had enough pace um, in, in a central position. And I think that's obviously why Zaha's ended up playing up top. We just You just need that. You need someone who's going to stretch the game. And if you're trying to clear your line, someone who can run the channels, all that sort of stuff. So, I, you know, looking at the style of player is, I'm, I'm relatively keen, but I don't know enough to, to really justify that. Uh, we mentioned Ruben Aguilar, who's a, a right-back player from, from Montpellier, uh, who's been strongly linked in the press. Again, not one I've seen play. Um, I don't think at, at all. And I've not even watched any highlights as yet. But if he plays, he plays right back. And I got two uh, legs. Yeah, I got two legs. Exactly right. Um, and the next one I want to talk about, and we we will move move on from potential rumored signings. But obviously, I did say it was going to dominate this this show. Um, James McCarthy is one that we've been strongly linked with. Um, obviously, not played an awful lot of football over the last couple of years, mainly due to quite a serious injury. He did break his leg, I think, but. Um, Played with uh, James MacArthur at Hamilton um, and I think at Wigan as well, if I'm right in saying that. Um, another one with strong Premier League experience. But the reaction to it, again, was people saying, why are we bothering signing a central midfielder? We don't need a central midfielder. We we, we do. <laughs> we do need central midfielders. Mm. Um, that's all I've really got to say on that. But, but McCarthy... To me, that's it's another risk signing, but at the same time, you're you're balancing out the fitness risk 
with um, a huge amount of experience and, and proven quality at Premier League level. And if he's still that same player, which, again, I don't want to write off a broken leg as nothing, but it's much, it's very different to having you know, a, a, a serious knee injury or you know, serious ankle ligament damage or an Achilles injury or something like that. You know, it, it's if it's a straight break and it's just healing and he's just not found his way back into the side, then, you know, that's still a very, very good player there. I'm just, yeah, I feel like the injury part is a bit concerning. I feel like, um, I'm just looking at season by season, how many games he's played. And I think the most he's played in recent years is the 2015-16 season, which was 29 Premier League games. And well, in total, he played 37 games. So that's a bit worrying. Um, it's been a while, hasn't it? Like 15, 16. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that that's exactly the concern. And, you know, we've seen it with well, Soiree and, and, and Wickham at our own club. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, the constant injuries when you come back from a long-term injury really do, you know, stretch that period of, of, of being out in uh, beyond sort of reasonable levels. Uh, Patrick? Yeah, um, interesting. They, he, McCarthy and MacArthur, they are very, very similar. You mentioned uh, them being at Hamilton together, which they were. They were both on the Wigan side, by the way, that won the uh, the FA Cup against Man City. Both internationals, one for Republic of Ireland, which is what uh, McCarthy is, and Jane McCarthy is a uh, Scottish international. Yeah, and they're three-year difference. The one I think I would say, I think that technically I would say MacArthur's technically a little bit better and scores more goals. But the funny thing is they really are very, very similar. It's like a three-year difference in them. So I think we might be getting, you know, I'm not, I don't, can't speak for the club, but I think we might be getting a younger version of James McCarthy. McCarthy. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, that's what game. they're looking at. Yeah, they've got the same thing. <laughs> I mean, it's really, honestly, if they're in the same lineup, you're going to be the same McCarthy, MacArthur all the time. You don't know which one is which. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, the... If you look, if you want to play, replace James MacArthur, what, who better than James McCarthy? It's the, it's the easiest <laughs> transition, and um, yeah, and we'll help Roy out as well, wouldn't it? So, no, look, I, you know, I'm not against that one. Again, I don't really get the vitriol from it. I, I get the concern, but I don't get why it makes people angry. And finally, uh, Victor Camarasa, uh, strongly linked, um, as you mentioned, Patrick earlier on, initially linked as a, a loan deal uh, where we we're going to pay a small amount of money up front and a, and a sort of fee to sign later on. That was then rejected, where and apparently we were looking to pay them a, a flat fee up front. And then the most recent thing I saw was that um, we'd gone back in with a larger upfront fee for the loan and a, an, agree, an agreement to sign later on as well. A lot of people questioning why that would be. There's lots of reasons why that be. It's mainly about cash flow usually. Um, you know, small outlay this year, bigger outlay next year gives you more to, more uh, flexibility in this window, for example. Um, but as a player, uh, one who did very well at Cardiff came with a very good reputation from Neil Warnock, by all accounts, um, and a very, very talented player, and one who can potentially sort of take on the Kabai role or play further forward. So it's one I'm, I'm quite excited about if we make it uh, make it happen. Yeah, I'm all for this one. Um, uh, first, um, I'm a Warnock fan, and Warnock gave him a ringing endorsement. I know last year he actually would always say that Camarasa was the most important player in their side. And if you watched uh, last season, he scored, I think he scored like four or five goals. And I think one was against West Ham, Tottenham and Chelsea. I think third and he scored against Man United. He scores big goals. And you're absolutely right, Chris. He, he would very much rep- uh, replace um, uh, Kabai. Uh, younger, obviously, uh, better legs, etc. cetera. Um, good engine, gets box to box. 
I'd be all for this signing. I think this would be a really exciting signing. And I think his transition would be quicker because of the fact he played in Premier League last year, unlike Maya, who didn't get that chance. So I think if we brought him in, wouldn't have the way wouldn't have that long uh, you know, transition. It's a matter of where and who he plays for, because look at the lineup now. You've got Zaha, Maya, Persibly, Schlapp, MacArthur as four of those, you know, attacking slash midfield players. You now where does he fit in? I know I'd put him. I put him in for Schlapp, obviously, but you know, not that's nothing against Schlapp. Just I just think he'd, he'd be a better version, a better player. He drive the ball forward, but I, I would be all for this camera. So I really hope, and I think if that gets his deal done, it really would uh, quite a lot of people. I really hope this gets done. I'm for it as well, but I feel like we're forgetting a certain player. Uh, that plays for us, Cheiko Kriate. He's been gone just like Wilf um, You're right. due to Afcons. And we're talking about engine, we're talking about midfield. He can, He's that box-to-box player. And last season, he suffered an injury which kind of disrupted the season and he sat, he sat out for a bit. But I'm looking forward to a full-fit Cheiko Kriate next season. And we haven't seen him in pre-season. So I feel like he will be a massive addition when he comes back as well because he looked what my initial uh, perception of him was that he's a good defend, like he's a good defender, but he doesn't offer much going forward. But last season, he just dashed all that away because he was brilliant going forward. He's he's strong, he's fast. So you know, there's another player that's coming in, Kriate. Yeah, I, I just get the feeling that Roy's not sure about him, and I, and I might be wrong there, but I, that's just for the feeling I get, um, and I and I'm based that on the fact that even when he played really well. He kept finding himself being out of the team the next the next week. Uh, I'm trying to remember the game he played absolutely superbly. Basically, won us. Isn't the that the same with Max though? But I know Max is a bit different. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, he, he yeah, his was more of, potentially more of a, a fitness and strength kind of thing. I think they were trying to ease him in, but I think Max will play more this season. At least I hope he will. But I, I don't, you might you might be right again. It might be one of those things where I don't. I, you know, I just it's just for me it's just a feeling I'm not going to base it I'm not going to sort of elaborate too much more on that I just felt that the the evidence was there that Roy for whatever reason last season didn't trust him on a regular basis and I don't really know why that was yeah um oh, a couple of things one squad depth I think Camarasa adds that pushing guys to for their spots I think is a brilliant thing second with Kiate I don't know if it was true maybe somebody just made it up but I heard that you know with our center half issue that Kiate if you guys watch the Afcon he actually plays center half the AFCON that uh, were willing to try him back there so that's another thing that you could think about with the injuries we have back there when he comes back he might be you know playing that there but again I don't remember he got hurt in the semi-final maybe the final so I'm not sure if he's even going to be fit anytime soon which is unfortunate but I, I'm, I'm a big fan of his too though, yeah, just like you are okay well, look, we'll we'll leave it there obviously there are rumours that uh, that Connor Wickham might be sold and he's been linked with Bristol City Reading and Stoke uh, if that does happen I mean, look, people. It's funny. People are the same people that are angry we signed got him a new one year contract. To the same people angry that we're thinking of selling him. <laughs> but but, um, but the, the, the two things kind of answer themselves. Which is, if we don't get another striker in, we won't sell Connor Wickham. I tell you that much. But if we do and we sell Connor Wickham, it'll, it'll be at a value that we got because we signed him on a one year contract. Um, but I don't know. Part of me thinks I'm a big fan of Connor Wickham, and I just I really still have this hope that he will stay fit, play games and, and be the striker I thought he was going to be. But I think he's had such a long time out and, and whether or not it'll ever happen for him at Palace on a regular basis, I, I'm starting to lose a bit of faith in that. Um, I think that's fair to say. And obviously the other big rumour out, we've talked about Wilf already, but this next section of the of the show, we're going to talk a bit more about Wilf. Now we've covered a fair bit already, so it won't, it won't 
go on for too long, but I want to make a little, a little bit of point. I want to talk about a little bit about realism around Wilfred Zaha, if I may. Um, and I hope people don't think I'm being a bit too preachy with this, but there's a lot of people who are stating he doesn't want to leave Palace. He's never said he wants to leave Palace. He wants to stay, all this kind of stuff. And, and I'll be real, he, he does clearly. He, there are actual quotes from him stating that he would like to play Champions League football. Now, that's not him asking Palace for a transfer. That's him talking about what his ambitions are. And you can be damn sure that all of the stuff over the last three seasons have been his agent trying to get him that move, trying to get him that big move. Now, he's not going to chuck his Crystal Palace career down the drain and be disrespectful to the club or anything like that. And I think people but people are mistaking that for a, a desire from Wilfred Zaha to stay at Crystal Palace. I think he won't be unhappy um, if he ends up staying at Palace, which I think he probably will, given how late in the window we are. But it will be because nobody was prepared to pay the asking price. It won't be because it was never going to happen in, in the first place. It's it's pretty clear that <laughs> there were some really strong desires from Arsenal and from Everton to sign him. Uh, and you can be pretty sure that, that the Arsenal move, at the very least, if not both, appealed to him in, in some way. Um, because he doesn't want to spend the rest of his career at, at Palace fighting relegation. And if you're if you're in his shoes right now and you're watching how Palace are, are doing in the transfer window and you're watching the level of ambition that we're showing, and I'm not necessarily criticising the club for that, but I'm just saying, look at it from a perspective point of view. This is a player who lots of neutrals will say is the best player outside of the top six. There are lots of people in football who say he is up there with some of the best players around. But he's never going to get that level of respect and that admiration that perhaps his career deserves at Crystal Palace. And we have to accept that. We have to be realistic. We've had we've done an awful lot for him as a player. But at the same time, you know, just you've got to be realistic about it. Um, and I think the worst thing that happened for him this this summer in, in his ambitions was the fact that we sold Juan Pesaka first, I think. Um, yeah, I, think I agree. Um, I feel like the Juan Pesaka situation kind of uh made him think about his own place at palace he's like he he wants to go out there and try again because of course it didn't work out at man united but talking about arsenal personally i thought if arsenal did pay up and wilf did move that move would make a lot of sense in the fact that he still stays in london um he's going to i know they're not in the champions league but they've got a very good squad and they're still in the europa league so he'd be playing in european competition um but also, you have to consider the fact that, yes, Wilf has done a lot for us and I love him to bits, but it's a business. If we sell Wilf for, let's say, 60 million, which might be, which might sound a bit more appropriate and more clubs will come for him like that, then yeah, like he'll move, he'll move on. But the chances of us getting relegated increases as well. And we can't deny that. And if we get relegated, the financial um, circumstances, it'd be worse than 60 million. I know that for sure. So we have to think about it in a business way. Yeah, like, yes, Wilf does deserve to move on, but unless a club pays the valuation, which I think is around 70 to 80 million because he's worth that much to us, then we have to hold on to him because he signed a new contract. And as harsh as that might, as that might sound, that, you know, it, it, he's, 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 he's the one that agreed on it for another five years. So it's yeah. a business, unfortunately. No, you're absolutely right. He's been well rewarded contract wise. He chose to sign it, and you know whether or not he was given any kind of guarantees or gentleman's agreement that has been 
suggested that he could leave the club, um, it would still be on the, you know, on the understanding that someone was going to pay a reasonable sum of money for him. And if you look at the sums of money they're being spent on players who, you know, we all know how good Wilf is. We know who he compares to. Uh, and just because other clubs or other fans might not see it the same way, as you say, Dio, it's about what he's worth to us, about what, what happens if he leaves. How do we even go about trying to replace him? It's it's um, the economics of it are very difficult. But with every year that passes, it will be it will be more likely that he leaves for a, for a lower value anyway. I think perhaps this summer was the highest his value would be. Um, personally, I think I, I, you know my gut feeling is we'll, we'll lose him. January or, or the next or next summer, more likely probably next summer. I think if he if he doesn't go in this window. But um, my question, Patrick, to you is: by taking the approach we've taken and sort of holding out for this transfer fee that that he's worth to us, have we taken a risk here that he that he might be actually affected by that? He might be upset that we potentially could be argued that we blocked his move. I think that depends on the relationship he has with both Parrish and with the manager. Um, what I've liked is that you haven't heard anything from Wilf really since he's come back. I mean, he's put out some interesting tweets, Instagram posts and Facebook stuff, but nothing, you know, anti-Palace, pro-Palace, just, you know, just regular Wilf stuff. So I think that the issue is going to be, I guess, tomorrow he, re- he reports back and, you know, we'll hear, I'm sure we're bound to hear things tomorrow about, you know, how things are going with him returning. I'm sure there'll be some kind of, Thing on cpfc.co.uk, the you know Palace TV site with Will coming back and stuff like that. But are we taking a risk? I don't, I don't think so. Like I said, I think his relationship with Parish is pretty good. I think the Parish has always looked out for him. Like you, just, you guys mentioned, the contract he's taken care of financially. He's been very loyal to us, also. Again, like I said, but it's all comes down to evaluation. You guys talked about if we don't get what we think he's worth, and he's worth a lot more than other people think he's worth to us. Uh, we can't sell him, and I do feel badly that way. But I don't. I, I'm like you because I think January, but more likely next summer. He's definitely off. I just don't think we could have. I don't think Parish is stupid enough to sell one Basak and Zara in the same window for so many reasons. One being the the vitriol and and the, and the pushback from the fans because like look what's happened already with a we haven't replaced one Basaka yet. So try imagine trying to replace Wolf. I mean, it would have been a disaster. So from that standpoint, I think he'll come back. He may not be you know, ecstatic, but I think he'd be okay, at least for the beginning of the uh, the season. And then when January comes around, if we're, we're struggling again and he decides that he wants to leave, we'll get what we can get for him and he'll move on. Another thing to consider is that his value of 80 million, um, I feel like this is his peak. Um, he's 20, he's going, he's going to turn 27 next season. And I reckon there's, if he continues performing as he is, I reckon there's, a season or two left of that valuation then after that it will slightly decrease by the year so the club have to make a decision by that as well it's the fact that do we want to just cash in do we want to go and just get all the money now or do we want to wait out and get a little bit less um, in the future and Zara stays with us because that's an important factor to consider yeah for sure Okay, we'll move on from from talking about Wilf. Um, imagine we'll revisit that a few times throughout the course of the season. But it's also looking ahead to the new season. Let's talk a little bit about Roy Hodgson. Um, I think it's fair to say in his interviews, and he didn't even do an interview after the Hertha Berlin game, um, that he's not been too happy about the transfer situation. Do we think there's a danger he could walk? And, and would you blame him if he did, Patrick? I don't think there's any chance he'd walk. Um, we saw it with Pulis, but that was purely financial. Um no one else has really walked away. Dougie walked away way back when, for again, financially. That's not even Roy Hodgson's, that's not his style. I mean, for my criticisms of the man, 
he's a very classy person. Um, he is a South, you know, he's a South London person born, you know, born and raised in Croydon. I wouldn't, I can't see him walking out in the club and leaving us in the lurch. It wouldn't make him look good. Not that he, you know, should care at this point in his career. He's done a, had a wonderful career as a manager, despite my, you know, issues with him. I don't see him walking. I, I, it's, it's a great point about, about the interview yesterday. They stuck PV out in front of the media yesterday after that match because no one else wanted to talk about that, that disaster yesterday. But what was he going to say? He probably with the same thing he said before about, you know, yeah, um, Dougie and uh, Steve are working on transfers in the background. I've identified X, Y, and Z. But, um, but I just honestly... I, he, he, calls, he calls him Doug. <laughs> I, I like that. that correct. Doug, Doug, Doug Freeman. Freeman yeah. Yeah, Doug, Steve. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would be so shocked for him to walk out. I don't, see, the thing is, it's not as untenable. Like, had they saw Wamasaka and Wilf, I would say, and then not replace him, I'd be like, you know, what's going on? I don't, we haven't done, we have, I mean, we've done the typical Palace thing. We just haven't signed anybody. We, we did the same thing last summer. I mean, I can't see him walking out. I mean, I'd be absolutely, I'd be more shocked than anything that's happened past Manchester in a long time if he, were, if he was to walk out. I really would be. Uh, I, yeah, I agree with Patrick. I don't think he'll walk out, but he is clearly frustrated. The fact that he's come out publicly in pre-season after the Bristol game, for example, saying that we need to sign players. Um, I thought we were on the same page with um, Dougie Friedman and Steve Parrish. And the fact that he didn't into he didn't go for an interview after the game yesterday, it shows that there's frustrations there. And it's, uh, it's the third time I'm saying this, but lots of pressure on the board. Lots of pressure because... You want to send a good message out, and like when Roy does leave, you want you want to say to managers, "Look, we backed him. We backed him. Like, come here, we'll back you as well." You want to send that message, and right now you're not really showing it. So it's 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 a massive it's it's a massive couple of days from the board in terms of that. But yeah, I don't think he'll walk out. He's not that type of guy. Uh, maybe at the end of the season, I could see him leaving. I think the chances of that is very high, like seventy percent. Him not signing a new contract. So look. Go on, Patrick, yeah, anybody else think that should he walk out, which I don't think has any chance that Dougie's going to step right in anyway? I mean, that's what I'm no, at I, this I, point. I just, lots, like of it, lots, of, lots of people say that, but I can't say it anymore. I think he's, I think he's probably much happier as a, as a director know. of football. You never know. I think. Out of spot, is that a spotlight who, who more, which is good? I mean, don't need a spotlight during yeah. transfer time. So you're right about that. I just think that only because I'm saying that, Chris, only because I can't think of a ready-made replacement that we have because we don't have a strong assistant manager, you know, at the time that Keith Finland did it for a couple of games here and there. I mean, Redditon wouldn't take over. Um, Hodgson's right-hand man would walk with him. That always happens. So now I'm just saying just because I've heard it and thought about it that it just seems to me that Dougie would take over for a season and because we have no one, I mean, I'm with Dio. I think he probably leaves at the end of this season, and we hopefully set someone up for next year. Yeah, I mean, there must be some succession planning going on for for sure. Um, you know, Roy's not going to go on forever as much as um, well. You know, he might try, <laughs> but you just never know. But you know, things aren't really that permanent in football. Um, I do want to mention that um, I saw comments from Ray Lewington. I think they were. It was in relation to the Hertha game, but I don't know if it was directly afterwards or it was a comment from a previous interview or something like that. In relation to what we've talked about, which was how we find it much much harder to play at home than away from home because we're naturally a counter attacking side, uh, particularly with Wilf in the team, and that we we sort of struggle to break teams down. But he said also said we have to do something about it. So my question, really, going back to to last season and the struggles that we had and looking forward into this season are there signs there that Roy will or can or will change anything and again I point to the the Hertha game where it, we had, it was the same old situation 
where you had lots of because of our our focus and our fascination on this recovery shape it seems very very difficult for us at home to even do a you know a counter-attack type break if we're under pressure and certainly seems to make it impossible for us to have enough bodies around to actually break teams down Uh, and that's what concerns me going into the year ahead Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around, to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Um, like when I saw that, when I was reading that, I actually started laughing. I was like, wait, you do know what's wrong. Then why not make some changes? And it seems like from what we've seen in preseason, I know it's a fitness test, but in tactical point, it's like we're kind of doing the same thing as last season. So it doesn't seem like there's going to be any changes which is so confusing. I really don't understand it. He said the exact things. He's like, oppositions come to set a spark. They play differently. That's why we play better away from home. It's like, yeah, they do. And for the love of God, change our tactics so so we can actually attack and play some football at home. But I just don't think it's going to happen because there's been no signs of it. I guess we have to wait till next week against Everton. It'll be one game, but it'll be a proper competitive game. Then we'll see. But I'm not really hopeful. I'm not really hopeful. He did say the right things, but I doubt Roy changes it. Interesting, though, because um, one of our better results last year was against Leicester away. And how did we win that match? Could we counterattack? So, I mean, that was brilliant display by Wolf in particular in that game. And so, tactically, they understand the tactics that it will take because we did it in that match. So why can we not adopt that at home? I'm going to say, we've thought about it a million times, it's because of the crowd. You can't really sit back and put on that pressure and because the fans won't react to it. When the fans start reacting, the players react and then it becomes like a vicious cycle. But again, I'm not blaming the fans. I'm just saying that, you know, counterattack really does, uh, uh, is based on the fact you're not going to have the ball a lot and you're waiting to set up certain things. It also helps when you have, you know, wide players that can get forward and, and you know, break quickly. And then the, the attackers and the supporting players get into the boxes quickly and create goals. But we again, we one of our best plays last year was a counterattack uh uh, clinic last year at Leicester I, I think that we, if we could do it then we could probably adapt it somewhat to our home matches I think you're right but again and when you talk about the the fans making it difficult I think it's particularly prevalent again I'm also not criticising fans I think any club has the same situation if you're playing a team where you have at least some expectation of getting a result if right. your team goes out and sits off and doesn't doesn't look to have possession of the ball other than when you're attacking yeah, your your fans will get anxious and then that anxiety will then turn to irritation. And then by the end of the game, particularly if you don't win it, it will turn to anger and very quickly the whole support turns against the manager. So it's a very, very difficult thing to do at home and, and many clubs have that exact same struggle. And I also think football is has changed in, to some level. There are 
it's more than just Palace who do struggle with that particular situation of trying to break teams down. And you think about how we do it to other to our opponents when we go away from home. You think about how we've played against Man City at times, how we approach games against Liverpool and Man United, and we we do exactly the same thing. I think we you know we lose one nil to Tottenham every time we play them for, for that exact reason that we're not particularly ambitious. Um, and we end up just conceding that one goal without really creating anything. But they have they struggle to break us down because we are organised. So I, under, I understand all of that, but I don't think we can go through another season where our home form is at that level without doing something different. And last year, it drove me mad that we didn't try, that we didn't try anything different. Even when the season was done, we didn't actually try anything different. Uh, and the real peak of my irritation was beating Man City and then nil-nil to Cardiff. The nil-nil against Cardiff after that win, just it made me want to just poke my eyes out with a spoon. I just, perhaps not literally, but yeah, drove me absolutely mad. So that's um yeah, that's my my concern perhaps going into the season with Roy. The other thing that slightly bothered me about Roy was um and I think he's making a different point here, so I feel a little bit mean to pick on this, but when he was talking about the squad, he talked about having to have Woods and Dreyer involved. And he's with similar con- com- uh, comments about young players before. And I'm always I just wonder, should he be a bit more mindful about his words and how you know, how are you gonna get First of all, how will the how will Sam Woods and Luke Dreyer feel about being told that you know they're only on the bench because he has to put them on the bench? It doesn't really encourage them, in my view. Uh, although I don't know what he says to them privately. And similarly, he should really be a bit mindful of the, of, of that and, and think about how on earth they're going to get the Premier League experience. He says they're missing if he doesn't play them. So a couple of bits in there, Dion. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't see the youth as like part of the team. I honestly think that because like even when discussing fullbacks, um, he didn't mention Mitchell. He just said there's one right back and one left back and Mitchell performed. But then again, I have to say, I was going to say at the start of the show, in this preseason, none of no one's really stood out for me. Like you see the Barnet game where there was lots of youth players playing, for example, no one's taking the opportunities. And going into next season, I just want everyone to kind of relax with the youth because they did get some of their chance in pre-season, maybe not exactly with the first team, but they did show Roy what they can do and it was a match. So, yeah, let's just relax on the youth side of things going into next season because right now they show that, they've shown that they can't really perform at the highest stage, really. Not having that, not having that at all. Sorry. Um, yeah. I watched James Daly um, in the Wimbledon match. I watched him in training. When, when Roy himself said, great job, James, good job, James. I watched Brandon Pierrick in the AFC Wimbledon game. Kid's 17 years old, played brilliantly. 17 scored two yeah. goals. Apart from no, him. No, let, me, let me finish, let me finish. So okay. my point is, I know you say, uh, you know, relax with the youth, but I'm with you. He doesn't seem to give the youth a chance, but he needs to. He needs to. He needs to say, get out of that mindset. That they're not good enough. James Daly brings energy. He's two-footed. He puts himself about. I don't think he's going to go out and He's going to play, but I think he give him a chance. Brandon Pierrick is very young, obviously. Probably shouldn't be given a chance, but... You know what? What would it what would it hurt to give him a chance every once in a while? I'm not I'm not all for that. And you probably Mitchell, but I think Tyree Mitchell got hurt after that for the second uh, um game. So he's he's not gonna he's not even available. I like the look of him when I saw him in the, in the game and half I saw him in. So I think we need to give him a chance. And I think that like you just said, he's not going to because he's he's really setting his ways away. And I think that's a real shame that again, 
the one player that was given a chance, albeit because Joel Ward was injured and he fell over himself, was Wanda Saka. And we ended up selling him a year and a half later. But no, I think we should give more youth a chance. And if it's not going to be Kirby or Drea or Woods, then give Pierrick or give Daly a chance. Because you know what? You never know. You might trip over another Wamba Saka without even knowing it. I think right now it's just, I'm not too sure about words, but it'll be, in my opinion, if you were to give a chance, it'll be Drea, uh, Mitchell, okay. yeah. Kirby. Mm-hmm. That's it, really. But other than that, the rest of they haven't shown anything. There's no point. So I've turned you around already. He went from nobody, he just named three players. <laughs> he's, got, he's got three now, yeah. No, no, no. Like, I've Mitchell, <laughs> there's, there's talent there, but in terms of like being outstanding, I know he was injured, but Drea. For example, no one really stood out in preseason. I can't say I can't point a finger and be like Luke Trail was the man in preseason. Very few first teamers did either. But let's uh, let's not dwell too much more on that. And I'm very conscious. We've just talked about Roy, and I've, and I've brought up some negatives. Um, I do want to mention a couple of things that I'm positive about, and that will take us into our last section of the show as well. Um, I I am as much as I have reservations about some of the way, some of the things that, that Roy does and how he goes about things. I remain. Uh, satisfied that he's our manager that's that doesn't even sound that sounds a bit a bit mean um I, I think he is you know he is a good manager to have in the position that we're in i think if anyone's going to keep us competitive in the majority of games it's roy hodgson his experience his knowledge uh is is unrivaled um and i think we could be a hell of a lot worse off than we are right now having Roy Hodgson in charge. So I, I want to give him props for the job he's done at Palace so far. And I really hope that frustration he's had um, over the lack of transfer activities is is resolved fairly soon and we can start being a bit more positive. I want to add also, uh, Chris, is that um, I give him credit. He didn't play Guaita and Maya last year as much as I wanted to. But you can definitely tell that they've embedded themselves into the side. If you guys watch any of the videos, but Guaita speaks in a lot more English now, very integrated into the side. And you know he's going to be starting keeper from the first game and won't come out barring injury and Maya definitely will be playing a lot more so though Roy is be stuck in his ways give him credit that now that those two have embedded themselves as far as the culture and the Premier League they will play and I think those two players can make a huge difference to our season this year definitely and uh, moving on to more positives um, I, I'd be honest I started writing this section and I failed quite quickly so I'm hoping that, that Patrick and DR have got some um, I, I've said, obviously, one of the big positives is, is we're extending our record spell in the top flight. And I know people get very moany very quickly when you start pointing out how far we've come since uh, 2009-10 season, <laughs> where we where we nearly went out of existence. Apparently, you're not allowed to mention that. You're not allowed to make uh, mention any kind of perspective or anything like that. So fine, I won't. But we are still, in terms of consistency in the top division, we're still we're in our best ever you know, we're making history. Every season, we're making history. And that really shouldn't get lost. Similarly, if you were made either a, a managing director or, or chairman of a company and you took that company company's turnover and increased it by 10 times over nine nine years, you would be have considered to have worked miracles. Yet, we're still we're seeing a hashtag parish out. And I think that also gets missed quite a lot in all the frustration. And I'm not saying that there's not a reason to be frustrated at times. And I'm not saying that every decision that's made is correct. I'm just saying if you if you take a step back and look at it, take the emotion out of it, you'll realise that as a football club, we are far, far better off um, than we have been for a very, very long time. And we should be very proud of that and very appreciative of that, in my view. So those are some of my positives. Um, I agree with you, but... 
the downside, I think the reason why people have become so moany about like the situation is because you see clubs like Wolves coming into the Premier League and straight away going to Europa League. You see West Ham, they've had, you know, they had that season under Bilic where they finished sixth, I think. Uh, Newcastle under Benitez, they were decent. Uh, Leicester, of course, winning the league. Everton. It's like we've always, we've stayed at the same position. Ooh. And they've pushed on. All much bigger clubs than us. You've, you've, made, you've named loads of clubs. I mean, much bigger than clubs. Us. <laughs> they're so much bigger than we are. Yeah. yeah, but I feel like that's that's the thing. It's like, we're just stuck there and them clubs... So who's on our level? So Brighton. why Norwich? Brighton. Norwich. I'm... Yeah, Brighton. Norwich. <laughs> but you know what I mean? But no, I understand the point you're making, Darren, and that's where people get stuck in the whole, well, if we, if we accept that, then we're not showing ambition. And there's definitely a point to be made there. But to change that, takes it takes serious serious time you know we're we're one of a huge number of clubs in london where you know whereas teams like newcastle they're a massive city I, with one club i understand that you know so we don't have you know the, the, look how long it's taken for anything to happen at, at the stadium and it's still not it's still not happening we desperately need to operate in the premier league as much as it's a distasteful thing for a lot of supporters you need superb corporate facilities and a much bigger ground because you need to generate much more income to be able to spend more money as part of financial fair play where people won't don't have the patience for that they want they want it all at the same time they want us to develop the stadium have a top class youth academy have huge sums of money to spend in the transfer window and a bottomless pit for wages and they want all of that all at the same time and they're not prepared to wait for it. So what do you yeah, do? I, I, I agree with everything that you're saying, but it's like, that's what people don't see. That's why people it, it has become so toxic because people look at them clubs that I've listed and they're like, look, look what they're doing. Like Moza Keane, he's signed for Everton and people are looking at that at Palace and they're like, look, we can't sign anyone. And that's what it is really. It's the fact that we're looking at other clubs and we're seeing where they are. And I feel like over the years, that's just building up more frustration because it seems like we're at the same position. But I understand what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, what all I'm saying is that that's what people look at and that's why it's become more toxic by the year because it seems like we're just stuck. I would I would love to be Wolves. I really would. I I, may, I threw the joke out there that they're probably end up winning Europa League and going champion next year. They've been in the league for, you know, a season and a bit, but... You look. You have to look at the history of the, of that club. They're just a they're a much bigger club. Newcastle's a bigger club than us. So I want to go back to what Chris is saying about you know people want to make fun and make light of. And again, I'm not I'm not a yes man. I'm not a you know whatever. But you have to look at Paz's history, and I go back way back. I go way back. So I'm looking at now at the history of our club. We were in the first division, 79, We got relegated that year. We went down Division Two. Then down division three. When you fall out of the division, you can fall faster than Crystal Palace. It ha- it's happening in our history. This is the longest year we've ever been in top flight. We're in the best division we've ever been. Of course, I want to win. I want to win more than than, than anybody. I had that whole uh, that whole soliloquy about being at you know Wembley and wanting us to win a cup. I want to win badly, but you got to understand we're Crystal Palace, and Chris makes a great point. We're Crystal Palace, one of many many Premier League clubs, and we're fighting for the same pound, the same player that other teams are and they're going to choose Moses Creed is going to choose a bigger Everton over us he's just going to because Everton has a better history I mean, Everton's won FA Cups they've won you know they won the, the first division when it was when it was the first division back then you know they're a bigger club so yeah I want us to push on I want to push us in the worst way but there are things that are getting in our way one is not having a manager for more than two seasons two transfer business has always been 
poorly planned and poorly executed. Three, getting an American investor in who one point spends money and then decides, you know what, I'm going to pull out and I'm going to, you know, put that on hold. Uh, three, getting, you know, players injured at, at a key time and not being able to push on and have one of our best player and one out wanting to leave and our best young player getting sold to a top, another top club. It's difficult. But I still am very appreciative of, how, of where we are in, in our history. And I think that if we can hang in there for another year, we get that that new stand starting to get built and we get new investors in, perhaps we can push on. But again, lot of stuff is, being on, is on ourselves because of the fact that we just do not do things correctly. And this, this transfer window thing has to get fixed because it's an easy stick to beat us with. It just is. It is. And, and you know, as you, we talked about uh, before the show, that that's where we don't help ourselves. And I, and I think, as, as we were talking about earlier, for me, there's there's going to be so many reasons that we're not really party to or aware of as to why it keeps happening the way it keeps happening. And it's one of those things where it might take a change of ownership for that to change. But you've also got to remember that you get you can get stuck in the mindset that doing something differently will always have a positive outcome if what you perceive currently is negative. So if you perceive our current situation as negative, you automatically think, well, do something different and then it'll be better. You can do something different and it'll be considerably worse. Um, and there are so many clubs fighting to be in a position that we're in. And if you want perspective, go and look at what's happening at Bolton and Bury at the moment. Think about a little Bolton we're in the Premier League for um, just ages, ages. and now they can't. Now they think they've got really exactly they've got three, I think three contracted players at the moment going into the season. Awful, awful stuff. And they they were yeah, they were owned by um, a lifelong fan who just was just bankrolling them That's continuously familiar. and eventually just came to a point, yeah, came, came to a point and couldn't fund it anymore. Weird. Weird. So yeah, look, this is what, you know, this is the, the positive section. That's what we're saying. And the best we're coming up with at the moment is perspective. It shouldn't be ignored. All right. It should not, should not be ignored. Anything else? Let anyone else? Like, yeah. Let me just say, we've got Max Meyer. He's, he seems like Roy, going to give him a chance he's he's now under us for another year so that's that's a positive it seems like Wilf is staying uh there's continuity with the squad uh we have Roy Hodgson who's a manager who will be able to keep us up so there are positives there um and yeah I'm trying to remain positive going into the Everton game but it's very hard to look at other clubs but yeah there are there are some positives there it's not like where it's the end of the world we'll I think we'll make some more transfers and we'll be fine before the start of the season well, let's hope so. And we've also got uh, another a question from a listener coming up. So uh, let's let's hear that now. Hello, this is Jason from America. <laughs> and my question for you guys is, do you think Menteke, if he can stay fit all year, score 15 or so goals like he did in his first year with the club? So, uh, Patrick, you speak the lingo. I don't know if you want to take that one. Uh, well, first, Sorry. thanks for the call. We appreciate yeah, thanks, it. Thanks, Jason. Um, I'm mindful of the fact that he scored those 15 goals and I'm a big Penteke fan under a different system, different manager. Um, I was very hopeful with the goal he scored when Luca in the Bristol City goal because Luca was putting in balls similar to the one he put, put in against Brighton that Wolf scored on. So if we can play uh, if we can play to Benteke's strengths, I'm, I really believe that once he gets a couple of goals in the season, his confidence will get up and he'll be able to score. I'm just worried about the way that we play um, may um, may inhibit him, but I, I think Jason, you're right. I think I think that he can get the 15 goals and they can push on for us this year. Yeah, I mean, if, I mean, uh, yeah. I don't know if the question is, do I think he will? Uh, my gut feeling is no. Um, 
for essentially for the reason Patrick suggested that we don't play in that way. Um, if at some point in this season we decide to regularly put crosses in the box for him um, and he adjusts to that because he's obviously had to adjust to the fact that that's not been happening and, and play differently uh, and do a different job under Hodgson. Um, but my, my gut feeling is always that Ben Teke at Palace is now, we, we've, we've seen him at his best and now it's just a case of him trying to do the best job he can until he leaves. I mean, that's a horribly negative thing to say, but um, I just think you know, he's you can see it when he's when he's snatching at chances and, and you know missing easy opportunities. And I think more importantly, we're still a, a fan base that wants a, a striker to just run run themselves into the ground. And that's why I'm quite happy about IU, because I think people will get over the fact that he doesn't score a huge amount of goals just through that work rate. It happened quite a lot last season where he started to win quite a few people over, myself included, but just the, the sheer graft. And I think the way Benteke plays, he doesn't really ever appear to be grafted. Um, and we're not, and that's not going to change over the course of the next year. But uh, it's a great question, Jason. And I, I just, yeah, I hope he does. I hope next season he gets the more goals than he's ever got for Palace. But whether it will happen, I, I have to say, I don't think so. So if you, like Jason, throughout the course of this season, want to get in touch with us and leave us, leave us a voice message, uh, chuck in your phone contacts, 0203 575 Add us on WhatsApp and then send us your voice messages and we'll use them on the show like we did today. And I'm hoping that'll be nice and popular throughout the course of the year. Uh, desperate to hear from you, uh, you all this season. Um, obviously, when we were a live show way back when under a different name, got constant contact from listeners and we we love all your tweets and your messages and your emails email address is hi at back of the nest.com by the way um but obviously it's very difficult to get through all of those and put them into a structured show every single week um so voice messages is just another way you can get in touch and also means it can actually feature in the show as a bit of content so hope you enjoyed that so anyway let's end it there in terms of we ended it on some positives <laughs> and um, um obviously exciting year ahead we hope um, I don't doubt by the time we kick off against Everton we would see some uh, fairly extensive biz- business in the transfer window uh, if not I think we could be in for a very very difficult season but you know we like to leave it late we like to keep people on their toes uh, so my thanks to DR and Patrick for being on the panel today and to Mikey for producing and of course all of you for listening and getting involved thanks very much bye right, I'll stop shirking now um. <laughs> All right, dear. Well, thanks for that. I can get with the intro now, can't I? So appreciated. Hello, my, I just realised that me saying that makes it sound like dear. I was stroking. Let's <laughs> make it clear. <laughs> dear, it's not. It's not stroking me in any sense of the word. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured, you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mate's already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.